Hey, Parkview, good to have you here. Welcome at New Linux. Welcome at Orland. Welcome online. Really, really glad to have you here. Um, you know, I'm, we had phenomenal worship today, and I don't know about you, but man, oh man, I needed it. I mean, you know, is there anxiety going on for you a little bit? I mean, it's, I mean, think about what's going on. It's September 11th, okay, so 21 years ago, right? Um, the Queen passed away. I don't know if that means much to you, but it's a, it's a big worldly event. Um, some of you Irish fans are a little beat up about college football and the Bears start. Okay, so, you know, and, and just personally speaking, um, I'm a little anxious about this message because I know that some people are going to take it, um, they're going to take it the wrong way or the right way and they're going to be mad at me. Okay, so there you go. You ready to start? Okay, here we go. Um, let, let's just start this way by me saying there are some things that make me ashamed to be labeled a Christian, okay? Not to be a Christian, but to be labeled one. There's definitely stuff that Jesus would be embarrassed by that Christians do. Would you all agree with me on that, okay? Like we should have bracelets to say WWJB, why would Jesus blush sometimes, I think, like, and this would be one of them. There are many ways to celebrate your relationship with God. Unfortunately, this performance from The Way is one of them. Hey, this is God. Uh, hey, The Way, thank you for that, but, you know, could you stop it doing that forever? I'll, look, I'll, I'll invent a unicorn for you or something. And you just name it, and I'll make it for you, but, uh, look, just stop that. Thanks. Amen. I, I mean, I, you can only laugh, and I mean, to each their own, and I'm sure I've embarrassed Jesus a few times myself, and I know that some of you might think, well, it doesn't seem proper for a pastor to make fun of another church. Well, you don't know me. Um, <laughs> and, and, and seriously, put yourself in God's shoes for just a minute. If, okay, hang on here, okay? If God's primary goal is to get his lost children back home, and he sent his only son to die for them, then honestly, I'm pretty sure that Joel McHale's God impression was right. This is God. Stop it. Please, I'll make you a unicorn. Stop it. Because, here we go, if you are a Christian and you act in a way that causes other people to want to run away from God, you are screwing up the plan. This is God, stop it. And that group turned out to be kind of a cult anyway, so I'm okay, it's, it's good. We're finishing up this series, this is how we do it. And our goal is to learn the blueprint for what God had for his church, okay? You know, I mean, we're all reinventing a little bit uh, uh, after the pandemic, we're all, you know, kind of trying to figure out how the new world goes on. And we discover the blueprint for the church in the book of Acts, and guess what? The early church did not do stupid things that caused people to run from God. They did the opposite. 
They spread the love of Jesus like wildfire. Listen, this was Acts 2. We did this a couple weeks ago. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple court and in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's our goal, to to have a a community, to have a church that represents Jesus out there uh, without doing dumb things and with trying to be the people who love and care for our neighbors and care and love for each other like they did so that other people want to be a part of it, okay? So today, Acts 4, and that's as far as we're going to go. I start at the movies next week with my favorite Marvel film. I'll give you a little bit of a hint, Okay. And and I'll explain that at the end of this. Acts 4, we get to the first opposition. And this has really been blowing my mind over the last couple of months as I think about this. And and, and so today is about how not to screw up God's plan of loving and saving the world. So I told you a couple of weeks ago about being offered a joint on a golf course in a a state where um, it isn't even legal, okay? I mean, this gal just walked up and, you know, asked me if I wanted to hit. And I made a joke out of how I need to figure out how to look more like clergy so that that doesn't happen. But you know what? And I didn't take it. Some people were like, well, did you did? No, I didn't. I didn't even eat the gummies that she offered or anything else. Nothing. No, no, no. Just drinking my diet Mountain Dew. That was it. But you know what? What I thought was that's the exact, I would never, ever wear a collar. I mean, if I was a part of a denomination that made me wear a collar, I wouldn't be a part of that denomination. And I won't put a fish on my car. And it's not just because of my driving, it's because as soon as you label yourself a Christian, you are shutting the door to a whole lot of people. Did he just say that? Yes. But hear me out. As soon as you label yourself a Christian, label yourself, you're shutting the door to a whole lot of people. And I'm not saying it's good, and it's certainly not Jesus' fault. It's other Christians' fault, but but hear me out on this, okay? I mean, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying I'm not proud to be a Christian. I'm saying that the label is a problem these days, okay? Back in the day, people had a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. Anybody remember those? It was always so dumb, I thought, because even if you did really feel inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, you're like, oh, there's a person with that bumper sticker, and you honked at them, half the time they would flip you off because they forgot they had the bumper sticker on there, and they just thought you were being rude, right? But I can tell you also that I never met a person who decided to come back home to the Father because of a bumper sticker. Even so, back in that day, it wasn't so weird. Nowadays, all I'm saying is it's so much easier to scare off the prodigal child from coming home because the world has lumped us into a category like the world always does, and it's not fair. It's never fair when you're the victim of prejudice, but we have to acknowledge it. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with Acts chapter 4, okay? Uh, Here's what I want to do with this. Acts chapter 4 is how Christians can break our bad reputation, 
And I thought about having Joan Jett playing in the background, but you don't even know who the doobies are, so, so never mind, okay? Here's what I want you to see in Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captains of the temple of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Okay, so this is where we see the apostles step up, the churches started, they waited for the Holy Spirit, but they did the stuff they needed to do to make room for the Holy Spirit. The, the church gets started, the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter gets up and preaches a barnstormer of a, of, of a sermon, 3,000 people get saved, they get started into this ministry, they all have everything in common, everybody loves these people, they're gaining favor in God and man, okay, that was one of the phrases in there, and then Pastor Todd talked last week about how the healing happened and, and how the church is supposed to be about the healing, and we get up here, and now, because of the healing that Pastor Todd talked about, this is where I'm supposed to tell you that you need to be bold in your faith and stand up and proclaim that Jesus is Lord to all the people. And of course I am, but what I need us to grab a hold of is what does that look like? Because when I started into ministry 38 years ago, or when I started here 32 years ago, that message would have sounded like, make sure the world knows where you stand on the issues. Let's get prayer back in schools. Let's stand strong against the issues of our day and, and the way that non-believers are changing our culture. And I, and I did preach that way in the early days of this church, and I found some sermons along those lines. And, and that was probably the right way to go at it back then. But that's because, hear me out, we, live, we lived in a completely different country 32 years ago. I told some friends last night, um, I feel like I've gone from being a pastor to being a missionary in the time that I've been at this church. I, I, what I mean is, I feel like I've gone from, a, from being a pastor where you know, the church is kind of normal and, and Christianity is kind of normal and I'm shepherding the flock and now I'm, I'm a person who's leading the flock into a mission field that's so different that we have to be careful that we don't use our 30-year-old, or in some churches' cases, 100-year-old methods to try to reach this generation, okay? And, and I'll, I'll explain this. Um, up to this time, everybody that's been a part of the church has been Jewish. I don't know if it's dawned on you before, but... Um, so when Peter gets up and he says, hey, you people all killed Jesus, I mean, he's saying, like, literally, you people killed Jesus, okay? They did. They were the ones who did it. So Peter gets up in Acts 2, and, he, and like I said, he preaches this really fiery sermon. He's like, you guys killed Jesus. And, and they were like, oh, what should we do? And he said, you need to repent and be baptized right now. And, and, and then the apostle Paul comes along, and he starts going to the non-Jews, the people that don't know anything about Judaism, the people that didn't kill Jesus, the people that don't know about, about all this stuff about Jesus that, that didn't come from that culture. He's preaching to all the other cultures. And you get to Acts chapter 17, and here's where Paul goes to Greece, where they're not Jews, they don't really know about Jesus, 
and it's a completely different culture. So for me, Acts 2 would be 1960 in the U.S., and Acts 17 is 2022. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, I see that you're very religious, for I walk around, and I and I, I, I looked at carefully at your objects of worship. They had objects of worship for everything. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you don't know the very thing you worship. And so this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This God that you don't know about, who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands. And if he needed anything, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in him we live and move and have our being. Then he quotes one of their own people. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. If I could put Acts 2 sermon from Peter against Acts 17 sermon from Paul, it would, it would astound you. Because Peter's talking to the choir, okay? That's why sometimes you're preaching to the choir. That's what they used to say. He's talking to the people who know what's going on. 1960, United States of America. Paul's talking to people who don't know what's going on. They worship, you know, all these different gods. You understand the mythology. They, they have all these different things. And what does he do? And he doesn't get up and say, why are you people idol worshipers? Don't you know that idol worship is against the Bible? He doesn't do that. He goes in and he goes, hey, you got a whole lot of different things going on here. Can I tell you about this God? He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else for in him we live and move and have our being. You see that? And here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I noticed. My pastor friends in the South, down in the Bible Belt, they still don't see this yet, but it's coming. During my ministry, the U.S. has moved from Jerusalem to Athens, from Acts 2 to Acts 17. So please look at Acts 4 with me now, which is still Jerusalem, with 2,022 eyes. All right? I want to start with this question. Who put them in jail? Was it the liberal government? No. It was the priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees. Peter and John in the early church and Jesus did not get opposition from the world. It came from the church. This was their church. These people were all Jews, and so was Jesus, by the way. You know that Jesus wasn't a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, right? Oh, man, somebody sent me a comedian doing a bit on is Jesus black or white this week. It was hilarious, okay? You know, Jesus got the gifts of frankincense and myrrh. I'm not going to do it. I just wanted to see the look in my executive pastor's face as I started into the bit because I know he soiled himself right then when he thought I was going to go ahead and do it because if I did it, it was a black comedian, I would be Michael Scott doing Chris Rock and I can't do that, okay? So you just got to Google it if you want to see it. It's really, really hilarious. But I don't know why it never dawned on me before that Peter and John and the early church had to endure persecution from the same place that Jesus got it which was their church, okay? It was not the world. As a matter of fact, the church never got opposition 
from the world. I mean, Nero and, and Rome, yeah, at, at the very, very top, started getting worried about them, and that's when things got scattered around. But we don't read about that in the Bible. We know that that happened. What we know in the Bible is that almost every time it came up, it was from their own people. And, and I just want you to understand this, okay? Because I've seen the pendulum swing to where it may be that the best thing that we can do for Jesus is to not be labeled an evangelical. I mean, that was never a biblical label, and it doesn't matter, but somehow, in 22, evangelical has replaced fundamental. And I used to always say that, that you know, fundamental is not much fun and not much mental um, when people would label you that. And now I wanna tell you that I think evangelical means not much evangelism. Because here's the deal, evangelism, if you don't know this term, means to bring the good news. But so many evangelicals have forgotten about bringing the good news and decided to become political activists or or, or people who want to fight for their freedoms or their causes. I've seen surveys of people uh, who they want to be a neighbor, and you know what ranks at the bottom of almost all of those lists is an evangelical Christian. I don't want to have an evangelical Christian move in next to me. I would rather live by a clown or a polka band than live by an evangelical Christian. Why is that? It's because some of them have forgotten what we're supposed to be doing which is to be bringing people home to the Father. And that's the world that we live in. In the broader culture of the day, all they did to the people around them was to love them. All Jesus did was love them, okay? So, how do we have a good news voice from Acts chapter four? So it is part two of last week's story in Acts chapter three. Pastor Todd was right. He wasn't invading my chapter. The story just keeps going. But by the way, what was up with those sideburns, Todd? Uh, did, did kidney stones, is that what kidney stones do to you? I, I don't even understand that. Anyway, Peter and John healed the lame beggar, okay, chapter three. And they were in the temple and this guy was so excited. He'd been healed, he'd been 40 years, he'd been down, right? And he's jumping and shouting and doing the floss and all this, and everyone, the Jews are all gathering around, and Peter uses this opportunity to preach. And this did not make the church leaders happy, so the church leaders threw him in jail. The world wasn't unhappy. They thought it was awesome that this guy was healed. But notice who was at the big powwow the next morning, okay? The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest family. If those names sound familiar, it's because you find them in Matthew 26 or in John 18 because they're the ones who killed Jesus. So they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? I mean, they can't question the fact that the guy got healed, so they're like, you know, whatever. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, Listen, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness, do you see what we're supposed to get in trouble for? That's what we're supposed to get in trouble for. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, like literally, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Same Peter, who denied that he even knew Jesus, right, the night before his death, now he's putting it to him, preaching an amazing sermon. But the key is, we get down to verse 13. So the rulers, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. We're supposed to get in trouble for kindness and they're supposed to be able to see that we've been with Jesus. It's different, right? So a good news voice is, number one, based on a relationship with Jesus. You've got to start there. When it comes to car maintenance, I can uh, neglect some things that won't hurt it overall. If I don't fill up the wiper fluid, it's just going to make me crazy when the slushies start coming, right? It's just a minor irritation. If I neglect to check the air in my tires, it means I might ruin a tire at some point, okay? But if I neglect the oil in my engine, my car is doomed for the junkyard or a new engine, which is something nobody wants to do. And the same is true for your spiritual vehicle. It is true, if you neglect the most primary part, the most vital part of your relationship with Jesus, it's going to diminish. So what are key elements of a relationship to Jesus? Okay, it's the same thing as any relationship. You need quality time together with your relationship. You need to be loyal to your relationship. Maybe you should find out what your your mate or, or whoever we're talking about enjoys and appreciates and do what they want, all right? Quality time, be loyal, and, and figure out what they want, right? That's how you have a good relationship. So don't neglect your relationship to Jesus. Make it a commitment as a priority in your life because all of a sudden these guys who were fishermen are now standing up and they're healing people for one thing. They've got the Holy Spirit for another and everybody can go, well, that's Peter and John and they used to be out there fishing and now look at what they're doing and look at what they're saying. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Honestly, I would like for this to be on my tombstone. Wouldn't you? They took note that this man had been with Jesus. But here's something else, okay? A good news voice is based on a relationship with Jesus, but, but this is probably the most important part. It is visual before it's verbal, Okay, again, here's the problem with verbal. We can be verbal all day, but if they don't see our kindness, if, if they don't see what's going on, if they don't see Jesus, if they can't take note that we've been with Jesus, verbal doesn't do a whole lot of good. I, I did this whole thing uh, several years ago called Life on Mission. It was a program for churches around the country, and I, and I taught it around the country, and uh, hundreds of churches did it. And one of the illustrations I used at the very beginning was this sign. Go ahead and put it up there. This sign that was from some church. And, um, you know, it was right after Katy Perry's song came out. So this is a pretty old sign. But it was, I kissed a girl and I liked it and then I went to hell. Okay? And, and, and I just kept talking. And, and if you look at the sign, look, it's finding and feeding his sheep. <laughs> 
as long as they're not LGBTQ, I guess, right? I mean, you know, as long as they, as long as they agree with me, I'm finding the sheep, that's what I'm doing, and I don't think that was working very well. You contrast that with Acts chapter 4, but since they could see, since the world could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing the rulers could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together, okay? Since they could see, um, yeah, since they could see the man who had been healed. That's what I wanted. Thank you. Going back for that. Since they could see the man who had been healed, all right? Visual. Not verbal, I mean, I guess that's a visual verbal, but, but not verbal, visual. What did they see? A man who'd been healed. That, that's the difference. What are we gonna do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. The church leaders, even with this evidence, could not miss the miracle. They could see the man, verse 14 says, verse 16, everybody knows they healed the man. Do you see my point? They didn't have a bumper sticker on their car. They, they didn't have a, 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 a billboard. They didn't have a sign out in front of their church. They weren't spouting off on, on Twitter about their rights as a Christian. They didn't even say anything about Jesus until after they healed the guy. It was the evidence of this miracle, the man standing in front of them who had been healed, that they could not deny. And that's what we're supposed to be about. Visual before it's verbal, seen with our eyes. My life speaks before I have the chance to use words. But when you see that God is doing something in someone's life, you see that they have a power from somewhere, evidence that they've been with Jesus, that makes for the best testimony. Jesus did not say, let your words be really loud about me. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Light is quiet. But turn on a light in a dark room and it makes a lot of difference. So my question for you is, what message does your life speak? I've been with Jesus. My life has been changed. A good news voice is based on a relationship with Jesus. It's visual before it's verbal. And third, it can't be stopped. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, you guys judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. That's not going to happen. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people of the world were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. You can't stop a good news voice. Do you see what I'm saying? When you have found out that God the Father loves you so much, he gave his son's life so that you could come home, you can't help but share that. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Maybe you've heard that before, but doesn't that sound better when it's dark? It's harder to walk without light in the dark. I understand that. It may be more dangerous to live in the darkness, in the dark places, but that's when the smallest amount of light makes a huge amount of difference. In the first sermon I did of the year in January, Year of First Steps is what we were calling this, 
I said that we were going to be lights in the darkness. And that's why if, if you're at one of our campuses, we have light boards at every campus. And here's what I said we were going to do this year. Positive contamination. Positive contamination. Okay, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek off of COVID. We're going to do positive contamination. And I said this. The darker it becomes, the more we need the light, and Jesus is the light. And I went back and looked at it. I thought, I, I, I want to walk this through. So what, was my, what were my points in that very first sermon? I know you, you don't remember. I don't remember. Why would you remember? My first point was get lit, right? So what is that? You've been with Jesus, okay? That's the first thing. They took note that they've been with Jesus. You've got to get lit. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't pass the flame on to someone else unless your candle is already lit, you know? Don't put your oxygen mask on your kid. Put it on yourself first. That's how the whole thing works. So the question is, are you lit? If not, what steps do you need to take to get lit? We are therefore Christ, listen to this, in the context of all this, this is Paul, and at this point he's out there in the rest of the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We're his ambassadors. Do you understand what an ambassador is? It was really cool this week. We had the ambassador from the U.S. in Malawi at our project that we've done in Malawi. I thought that was so cool. I want to meet him. That's an ambassador is, is to bring goodwill from one country to another. God is calling his church to be ambassadors, to hold out the light of this world so that they may know. And the second point I said was act like you're lit, which is be visual before you're verbal, right? Okay, listen to this. You are the light, verse, again, let me give you the whole thing. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Your Twitter feed? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not bumper stickers. Peter, or Paul later said to the Philippians, become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Do we live in a crooked and depraved generation? Yes. So become blameless and pure in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. The third point of that first sermon was help others get lit. We can't help but speak what we have seen and heard. Can't stop this. See, if you're lost, there are two ways you can find out where you're going. You can either get directions or you can follow someone there, right? Obviously, two is better than one. A lot of people... Um, understand this. I think you'll understand this. It's a lot better to follow a leader than to follow directions. At least it is for me. I mean, maybe some of you are a little more analytical about that stuff. So in the Old Testament, the people were given directions on how to live, right? And God said, follow me by following these directions. That's what the Old Testament was about. And then in Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. The old covenant is gone. I want you to follow me. And now he looks at the church comprised of his followers and he says, now you do it. 
You go be the light and ask people to follow you. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is the light that we do it. This is how we do it. So next week, uh, we start at the movies. Um, It's another really super weird thing that we do at this church. Um, we take a movie and, uh, and, and, and I preach from it, okay? And I'm doing four of the five, okay? Pastor Lamb Chop is doing the other one, but I just want, because if you, uh, if you it, it, I mean, I know some of you are like, well, I want to know who's doing it, you know, if, I, if I'm going to invite my friends. It's all, gonna, it's all video, it's all video driven, and, and those of you online, I need to warn you of this. If you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube or whatever, you, you're not going to be able to see the movie clips, but you can see the movie clips online at partviewchurch.tv or on our app. We have the license ability to be able to do that that way. You just can't do it on Facebook and YouTube. So pay attention to that, okay? And, and here's, I just want you to know why we do that, okay? I want you to know why we do that. It's so that you have a chance to invite your friends who are not sure about this church thing and they're not sure about this Jesus thing and, and you can tell them our church does the weirdest thing and they use movies and they teach from it. And, um, and by the way, Jesus did that. He used stories, right? So this is what we're doing, okay? And, and I just want you to be thinking about what, who it is. Some of you put, put a name on a light bulb, right? You were around the first of the year. You put a name on a light bulb. Who's on there? Have, have you invited them? This next series is going to be the time that you can do that. And here's what I need, to, I need to explain to you. If you're a church person and you don't like the way that we are doing it, you can be mad and persecute us if you want. Um, but please know that we've been with Jesus. People have been healed. And we can't help telling what we've seen and heard, okay? So deal with it. If you aren't a church person, maybe you're here and you don't have the light yet. And I'm going to guess, this is what I said in that very first sermon. I'm going to guess that there are three things that you would agree with us on. And this might just be a little clip for you friends to share with your friends if you're going to invite them. Just this little bit right here. If you're not a church person, I'm gonna guess that there are three things that you agree with us on. We believe that everyone's gonna die, and you probably do too. We believe that everyone lives forever somewhere, and probably you do too in your heart of hearts. We believe that none of us have died and know what that experience is like, and you agree with that. But here's where we might disagree. We believe that it would be wise to hang our hopes on the one person who has died and was buried and came back to life to talk about it. We believe that Jesus really did come back from the dead to live forever. And he said, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And I know you might be thinking, well, why don't you just leave me alone? You know, let me be lost in my darkness. Let me believe what I want to believe and you believe what you want to believe. But I'm sorry if we appear to badger you or pester you or bother you or bribe you because the reason we do what we do is because we really believe what Jesus said that he's the light of the world and if we don't try it would be like having the cure for cancer and keeping it to ourselves and we just care too much to do that we can't help but to speak the things that we've seen and heard 
So check this. We are willing to be persecuted by even other Christians because we are so desperate for you to know your dad like we do. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that you could come back to the family and join us. And that's all that matters. God, I just want to pray for us as uh, we head into this next series and as people starting to think about coming back to church or coming to church and as our people are inviting and, and as the world is a crazy, crazy place out there and, and Christians are sometimes not handling things really well and getting in your way. I pray that you will convict them, convict me when I do it, because I know I do. I pray that you'll convict us when we become the older brothers and, and, and we forget what the point is. And Lord, I pray for our church that we will be known as people who have been with you in a place where people are healed, in a place where we boldly can't say no to sharing this light that we have been given. It's in your name that we pray.